My name is Aaron, and you're listening to the FCC Grayson Podcast. God is doing some incredible things here at First Church. To learn more about FCC and maybe plan your visit, head on over to FCCGrayson.com. We hope today's message gives you hope, inspires you, and encourages you in your walk with God. Let's dive into today's message. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Romans. We're going to be going back to the book of Romans, chapter 8. And man, wasn't it great hearing and seeing Grant up here reading, opening us in Scripture this morning, wasn't it? Grant, thank you for doing that, buddy. You did an awesome job. That's so, so encouraging to see our kids involved. But we are continuing in our study on Redeemer. We've looked at why we need a Redeemer. We've looked at who the Redeemer is and the good news that he brought We've spent a couple weeks um, talking about a few churchy words that sometimes we don't always do the best job of offering a definition for, an explanation of, during our messages and during church. We looked, one of the first weeks was about repentance, about how that in order to truly be redeemed, we need to be, um, we need to be repentant, but we need to make sure that we repent in a biblical way and that we live biblically solid lives of repentance ongoing and it's not just a one-time event we looked last week at the word justification because repentance gets us forgiveness but then justification gets us an innocent verdict in the eyes of God in the courtroom of God justification means that we are found innocent and as I look out over this congregation this morning, and as I know that people are watching at home, none of us are innocent. So that there had to be a channel, there had to be something there that took us from this guilty verdict where we could do nothing about it to an innocent verdict in the eyes of God. And that was Jesus Christ. Now, we talked at the beginning of the message last week we, we've titled these kind of as the, you know, the result of our repentance. There should be something, and you know, this week and next week we're going to continue with that, of what the result should be in our lives. First was the justification, that we are found innocent and that we live from this place. Today we're going to be talking about a biblical word called adoption. And I know that that's not just a biblical word, that that is an actual, relevant, current, cultural term that we have here as well. And we're going to look at the, um, we're going to compare them and we're going to contrast them as to what adoption means now, as to what it meant back in the time of Paul's writings to the Romans. But we kind of prefaced all of these weeks leading up with, with this statement of God will not be a supplement in your life. Jesus Christ cannot just be an addition to your life. He cannot be something that you bolt on to your crazy, hectic, chaotic life and prioritize everything above and beyond him and just hope that he's okay with the few moments that you may steal away every now and then and give to him. He's not okay with that. Matter of fact, he'll refuse to do that. You may think that you've got Jesus bolted on as a hood ornament to your vehicle of life if you're prioritizing everything over him, but you don't. 
there's so many times over and over and over again that Jesus tells us that we have to sacrifice everything, that we have to be willing to give up everything, that we have to seek him first, that we have to love him first, and he has to be our priority. So we looked at that through the lens of justification, and I want us to, as we're talking about adoption this morning, I also want you to remember that as we are talking about this word as well, that Jesus Christ cannot be a supplement to your life. Cannot. He cannot be just an addition. He cannot be just something that you bolt on and hope that it's okay if I give him an hour on a Sunday. And I'm going to give him an hour on Sunday, but it's not going to be every Sunday because I need a break. Jesus will, he he just will not be an addition or a supplement to your life. So Romans chapter 8, you all already are are there, I am not, I'm lagging behind. Uh, I'm going to be reading verses 12 through 17 this morning. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. If you need to get on your phones to do that, stay off Twitter and Facebook, social media, but get on the Bible app. If you don't have any of that, we've got them on the screen here for you. Romans chapter 8 starting with verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father." The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you uh, for for your presence here, for your spirit that we feel in this place, and thank you um, for this time in your word. God, I pray right now that you would open hearts, open minds, open ears to receive what you want to speak to us, to challenge us, to comfort us, to convict us. And God, I now take this time and I also pray for myself that you would speak through me. Holy Spirit, use me as your vessel, use my voice as yours. Father, we thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to talk about this word adoption this morning. And what it means for us to be adopted by God. Now, if you're anything like me, this is a little bit of a difficult concept for me to grasp completely. And and here's why I say that. Because I can wrap my head around being forgiven. I can see my need for repentance. I can look upon the cross of Calvary. I can look at Jesus' sacrifice. I can look at him coming, living an innocent life, dying as a guilty death. I can see that. I can see my sins. I can understand why I need to repent. So I, I get that. Also, from the justification standpoint, I can wrap my mind around the fact that it took Jesus in order for me to be deemed innocent in God's eyes. I can get that. I can wrap my mind around that at least for the most part. But adopted? This new identity? This new this new man, this new person, this new being? I I have a difficult time wrapping my mind around that. I don't know if it's just me, but I 
at times I struggle with that because I see so much of the old Ben in this supposed new Ben and I get defeated, I get discouraged, doubt begins to creep in and then I'm like, has there really been anything that's changed at all? Because the reality is, is that the repentance, the forgiveness, the justification, and the identity change, the adoption, all take place at the same time. It's not a progressive, step-by-step thing. It happens. And we're made new, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have been made new. And again, I know I've said this for a couple weeks now, but I want to reiterate the point that we're talking about a new creation. We're a new man. We're a new woman. We are a new person. It's not a reformed person. It's not a revitalized person. It's not a redone person. You are new when you are in Jesus Christ. Now, I think one of the biggest things that we need to understand here as we kind of walk verse by verse through this passage is in verse 15, where it says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Okay, fall back into fear. Has anybody ever really kind of wondered what that might be? What kind of fear would we fall into if we are this new creation, if we are in Christ, if we have been changed, if we've repented, we've been forgiven, we've been justified, now we've been adopted, so we're made new, what would we fall back into? What's this fear that Paul's talking about here? Well, I want to submit to you as we're talking about identity and who we are now as being in Christ, I believe that Paul is talking about us falling back into the identity of who we were and seeking the approval and validation from different areas in our lives. Approval from others. Validation in myself. Approval from the world system. And even some of us come to a religious system to seek validation and approval. I think that Paul is saying that he has delivered us from this. That's slavery. That's bondage. That's what we were wrapped up in before. But now that we're in Christ, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Don't fall back into that. You don't have to. Why? Because you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Because there's so many times that I don't live up to what I think I need to be. I tell you, and and I'll make this confession, I have fallen short every day of the person that I think I need to be. Every day. There's not been one day where I've been able to go to bed at night and go, man, I nailed it today. Knocked that one out of the park. Kim... You are welcome. <laughs> awesome. I do that. I, it's not true, but I tell her that quite often. So if we're seeking validation and approval in and of ourselves, no matter how self-confident we may project ourselves to be to others, guess what? You're never going to live up to that standard. Never. You're always going to fall short of who you think you need to be or who you should be. So let's go on. What's another area of fear of bondage that we could fall back into? How about what others think of you? That identity that you have in others, that you're trying to find identity. Young men, young women, please do not look for your identity in a relationship with someone else. You will never find it. 
True God-given identity is only found in a relationship with him, not in a relationship here on this earth. There's not a woman alive that can complete you. There's not a man alive that can complete you. Because guess what? If you're looking for them to make you right, they can only make you as good as what they are. And they're flawed, sinful, fallible people. Amen? Don't look to others for your validation or your approval. Don't look to the world because the, world, the world's going to have you spinning in circles. Because about the time that somebody tells you you need to be this, you're going to run across about 47,000 other people, especially on social media, that tell you how wrong you are for being that way and you need to be like this. So then you turn this way, and then you've got 47,000 other people telling you it's wrong to be this way, so you need to go this way. Don't look for the world to validate you. Don't look for the world to approve you. And don't look to a religious system. Okay? Now, I'm not talking about don't look to religion. I'm not talking about don't look to God. Don't look to a religious system that would put you in bondage of trying to measure up or compare yourself to someone else. Because it's really easy for us to get into a religious system or a religious tradition where we look at one person and go, ah, if I could just be like them, man, they've got it all together. And I know that you all know me well enough that you're not guilty of this, but please never look at your pastor like that. I am messed up. Right? I am a hot mess. You all missed a really good chance to get vocal right there and say amen. Okay, I am flawed. Don't think that just because I'm up here before you on a Sunday morning with a microphone and a Bible in my hand that, oh, that dude's got it figured out. Not even close. Don't look to religious systems or traditions. Don't let yourself fall into that comparison thing. That is what Paul is telling us. You're not a slave to that anymore. You're not a bond servant to that anymore. You're not in bondage to those things anymore because your identity doesn't come from you. Your identity doesn't come from others. Your identity doesn't come from the world. And your identity doesn't come from a religious system. Your identity comes from one place and one place only, and that is God, the one who created you. Amen? That is your source of identity. That's the freedom that you have, that you don't have to worry about falling back into bondage to these fears that have driven us for so many years leading us up to this place. So let's look still in verse 15. It says, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Now, again, adoption is something that is very relevant in our culture now. But I want to give you a little bit of a history lesson here and tell you that Adoption now, the way it looks now, what it means now, wasn't necessarily what it meant back in the time that Paul was writing the letter to Rome. Actually, back in this time, in this culture, it was far more um, regular for adults to be adopted than it was for children to be adopted. So I'm up for adoption. Billy Murray, would you like to adopt me? Y'all pray for Billy Murray. That is not the response I was expecting. <laughs> but now we see, you know, adoption to us is adopting children. You know, and, and you know, there's, there's various means and ways, there's various reasons that we look at adopting. There can be bad circumstances. You know, th there's this thing, but it's primarily 
all children now. But back then, it was more regular for an adult to be adopted than it was for a child. And one of the uh, most famous adult adoptions that ever took place was Julius Caesar adopted Augustus Octavius, and he became Augustus Caesar while he was a young man. He was in his 20s, so he was in adulthood. The reason that he did this is so that Augustus Octavius could be the heir to the Roman Empire. You see, adoption in that time, in that culture, was all about the inheritance. It wasn't really primarily about providing something better or a better situation or the betterment of of, of a child or a betterment of a person. It was about what you received as an inheritance. So Paul's writing this, this word adoption, through the cultural lens that adoption is primarily about the inheritance that you receive when you've been adopted. Now, is it true that we are adopted into Christ, that we are in a better situation? Are we provided for better? Are we more safe? Yes, absolutely we are. But he's writing it through the context of the lens of the inheritance that we receive when God adopts us. Now, understand something. We're getting ready to, to move into another section here. But understand something, that there is a, there is a difference between God being your creator and God being your father. God is the creator of all things. He is everyone's creator, but he is not everyone's father. There's, there's a belief system now called universal fatherhood of God that just says that whether you're a child of God or not, whether you've repented, whether you believe in Jesus or not, God is still your father. False. God's the creator of everyone. But it isn't until you're grafted into this family, until you repent, you're baptized, you're justified, you're, you're forgiven. That's when God becomes your father. The next section says that we have received the spirit of adoptions as son by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, I want to kind of dissect this for just a little bit. Okay, Notice the terminology there that we cry, Abba, Father. All right, now if you'll turn to Galatians. If you want to go with me, that's great. If not, you can hang out there. But Galatians 6 and 7, Paul's writing to the church of Galatia, here's what he says. Verse 6, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Notice that the two times that Paul uses this term, Abba, Father. He uses the descriptive term of crying out. Now, I want to I, I break something down just a little bit for you. Abba does not wholly mean daddy. Okay? Abba does not just mean that it's this intimate infectious term of embracing and love and encountering and ah he's daddy now now listen it does it does carry that with it but if you look at how it says it says that you can cry abba father in both instances 
And what, if you research this word, what you'll find out is it carries a weight of sovereignty of God. It almost carries this, and, and I remember I was on a bus one time, and, and bless my bus driver's hearts. I paid for everything I did on a school bus when I drove one. That's all I'm saying. But I remember we were deep into trading WWF figurines. Okay? I had Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff, Mark Hall, where you at? All right, I got him up there, okay. So I had Mr. Wonderful and somebody else had Hulk Hogan. <laughs> I did not have Hulk Hogan. I wanted Hulk Hogan. Okay? Chuck was the one that had Hulk Hogan. Bree, she'll know that. <laughs> so we get into this argument because I'm thinking it's a fair trade. Mr. Wonderful for Hulk Hogan. Even trade, right? Well, he didn't think so. Well, we got into this verbal disagreement, which I put the winning cap on it with the statement of, oh, yeah, well, my dad can beat up your dad. That's end game right there. there. You can't top that. That wins an argument every time. My dad can beat up your dad. That's kind of what this Abba is referencing here. It's almost carrying this weight of, hey, my God is sovereign. What can come against me? What can I face? Who could challenge him? Who can mock him? Who can, spit him? Who can make fun of him? Who could challenge my God? My dad can beat up your dad. So he's talking about this in a crying out. He's not talking about it coming meekly and humbly to God, crying out, Daddy. He's crying out that whether I'm rejoicing or whether I'm in desperation, I can cry out, Abba, Father. And that's the same thing that we have. That no matter how bad it is or how good it is, whether we're rejoicing or whether we're crying out in desperation, Abba, Father, is here with me. And he is my Father. How awesome of a promise is that? And like I said, I don't want to discourage you from thinking that, that, you know, that Abba doesn't mean daddy and it's got, we, we've got this nice little fluffy welcoming father. We do have that, but that's not, I don't, I don't cry out, daddy, what's up? I don't do that. So let's look back to Romans before I get myself in trouble. Verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So we've not received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but we've received the spirit of adoptions by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Then the result of this becomes the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Okay, so what does that mean? What does that mean that his spirit, the capital S spirit, if you'll look in your Bible, you'll see that that first spirit is capitalized, which means it's God's spirit. His spirit testifies and works through our spirit, what, what does that mean? Well, I want to propose this to you, and it's in one word, and it's a word that we don't often like, but I think you'll see how it will connect it to the next passage that we're getting ready to read. That word's called obedience. Obedience to God. I believe that, I, that his spirit bears witness, testifies on behalf of our spirit when we are obedient to what God is calling us and what God has commanded us to do. Listen, I'm going to make a, want to make a really hard statement here, okay? And I want to make it out of as much love as I can possibly make it, but it's a biblical truth. If you are listening to this and you do not have a desire to be obedient to God, then you're not a Christian. 
If you do not desire, I'm not saying that you get it perfect, not saying that you get it right all the time, or that you do everything just proper. I just sounded like Thomas. I needed to have the accent on that. If you do things proper, you know, and he says things that I'm still trying to figure out what they mean. But they sound so cool, I just go along with it. But if you, I'm not saying that you do everything the right way all the time. I'm not saying that you're obedient to his commands 100% of the time. But if you don't desire to be obedient to him, if that's not the longing of your heart, if that's not the desire of who you are, if that's not what you're pursuing, then you need to check your status. Because if you're calling yourself a Christ follower... And you have zero desire to be obedient to him, then you're really not a Christ follower. If you love me, keep my commandments. See, what I'm guilty of is I have this thing inside of me that's wired and saying that, God, I want you, but man, I want all of this too. Surely a gracious, loving, forgiving God is okay with him just in moments. doesn't even have to be all the time, but just in moments. I'm going to pursue this. Okay, I'm going to pursue you, God. I'm going to pursue you. Okay, I'm pursuing you, but give me just a minute. I'm going to go pursue this for a little while, but don't worry. I'm going to come back. Okay, I'm going to pursue this for a little while. I know it's not what you want me to do. I get it. I understand it, but this is so much fun. Have you tried this? This is so much fun. I enjoy this so much. Don't worry, I'll be back. Okay, okay, I'm coming back over. Now I'm going to pursue you. My friends, please listen to me. If that's what your life looks at from the bottom of my heart and with every ounce of desperation that I can cry out to you, please stop. Because that is not following Christ. So for a, his spirit to testify on our behalf, then there's this obedience factor. Have you ever heard of a non-believer who doesn't believe in God that says, you know, I don't believe in God, but I want to be obedient to him? No. It's about obedience. And here's why I say it's obedience. Let's look at verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Man, it's got a good ring to it, doesn't it? Sounds good. I'm, I'm an heir. I've been grafted in. I've been brought in. I'm an heir now. Oh, wait, there's more? There's, there's more? To, okay. Let me read. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let's just have a, 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 just a moment of honesty here in a family setting. Who really wishes that last part wasn't in the Bible? If we suffer with him, whoa, whoa, okay, you had me. You had me with this heir thing. You had me no longer slaves. You had me with this adoption, this feel good. You also had me with the my dad can beat up your dad kind of thing. But I'm not so sure I feel really good about this suffering thing. Do you notice the way that it falls in this passage of Scripture that suffering comes first, then we glorify with it, then we glory with him? Turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse two, verses 2 and 3. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Guys, do not ever 
despise dark times in your life. Please don't despise the dark times in your life because I can promise you God is doing something in those dark times. The New Testament records that Jesus was led by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. It says that he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit in. He faced temptation for 40 days. He faced a dark period, a dark night of the soul for 40 days, and then he comes out. And how does he come out? He comes out in the power of the Spirit. My friends, if you are facing darkness, if you're facing a bad situation, do not despise those times because that's when God oftentimes will work the most in your life. And I love how James says this right here, count it all joy. That's why we don't base anything on happiness. That's why we don't base anything on our feelings, on our emotions, because they're terrible guides. They're terrible masters. But count it all a joy because a joy goes beyond external circumstances and it looks at the one who provides the joy. So count it all a joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I, I love how he just kind of throws that blanket statement out there, various trials, because we like to try to get really specific with it. You know, it's like, well, I know what James says, but surely James didn't mean financial trials. Would financial trials fall under the category of various? Yes. Okay, well, relationship trials, various. Addiction, various. Job trials, various. God does things in these dark hours. In these times when our temptation is that we want to throw our hands up and quit, God is pleading with us, do not give up because I led you there for a reason. And when you come out of this, you seek me, you pursue me, you follow me. You're going to come out of it closer than what you went in. So this, this biblical adoption, the way that Paul frames it, and I'm going to go ahead and ask Kennedy and Brody to come up if they would. You know, when we adopt someone now, listen, they become part of the family. And I know some of you who have experienced both sides of adoption, that you have been adopted and some of you have been the ones to adopt. And there is this, this acceptance into the family that you become part of the family. There's no question about that. But no matter how long that you're in that family as an adopted individual, you can still do a DNA test and a blood test, and guess what? The genetics aren't going to match. No matter how long you've been there, the genetics just aren't going to match. But this is where it becomes, because the reason that they don't match is because you've not been made new. Your situation has been. Your atmosphere has been. The setting has been made new, but you have not. But the difference is, is with the spiritual adoption, everything is made new. You have a new spiritual DNA because you've been grafted in to the family of God. And he goes from just your creator to your father. And that is your identity. You are a child of God. And we are no longer slaves to fear to fall back into that, that bondage, that oppression. We've got this Abba Father, this great big God, this great big Father that we can cry out to, that we can run to.
And we're his heirs. We're his heirs. And our ultimate inheritance is an eternity in heaven with him. Will you pray with me this morning again? God, thank you so much for what we've talked about today. God, it just still blows my mind with this adoption that, God, that you graft us into the family, that you create us new. And, God, it's absolutely nothing that we can do in our own power. It's absolutely nothing that we can do in ourselves. It's all through Jesus and his sacrifice. And, God, I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.